Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. This is Michael Israel. I am the uh, head of field service evangelism for Zooper. Uh, for those of you that were on the last session with Anand and I, once again, thank you for joining. I hope you found that to be a valuable experience. Uh, I would like to introduce the speakers, the panel for our next session. These are two uh, customer service and field service experts whom I've known both of them for quite a long time. So uh, just very briefly, Michael Blumberg from uh, Blumberg Advisory Associates and David Knorr of the Knorr Group. So having said that little bit, I'm going to turn it over to you, Michael, first and ask you to please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thank you for asking sure. me to, to join uh, the Zuber Partner Connect. And I want to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all the people that are in attendance. I know we have folks from many different time zones here. I want to give you a little introduction of myself. I'm a management consultant and market researcher. I've spent my entire career in field service. For a brief period of time, I was the chief marketing officer for a software company focused on field service. But other than that, most of my experience has been as a management consultant. And you might wonder, how does somebody become a management consultant? I basically became one right out of school. Most people think you have to be an expert to do well at consulting, and you do. And how I became an expert is uh, I had a great mentor. Um, when I graduated from college, my father was running a management consulting firm that was focused on field service. And as a kid in high school and in college, I was really impressed with what my dad did. He traveled all over the world. He had some great clients uh, like IBM and AT&T AT &T and Siemens and GE. And I heard about these companies and they were always on the radio and on the TV with advertisements. So I was intrigued by what he did and I wanted to kind of be like him. I was one of those kids that wanted to be like their dad. And I, I kind of followed in his footsteps and I went to work at his company and he trained me on the field service industry. And he, he was really a great mentor and a coach. Uh, and, um, really encouraged me to learn as much as I could about the industry, about field service, field service and all the disciplines around field service management, from how do you get customers? Uh, how do you continue to provide high level of customer satisfaction? How do you price your services? How do you expand your services portfolio? How do you deliver service on a highly efficient and highly productive and on a high quality basis? So that's really how I, I got to be where I am today is because of that experience and really having a great mentor. So if any of you are, are trying to achieve something, I really encourage you to find mentors to get to where you want to go. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Michael. I knew your dad pretty well as well. So he did a good job with you. So congrats. Yeah, thank you. Uh, You'd be proud. Yeah. Yeah. Nor, uh, how are you? And would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background, which is equally fascinating, but in a different way? Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Uh, Michael, good to see you both. David Knorr, I'm CEO of an Atlanta-based firm called the Knorr Group. We're a, a strategic growth advisory firm. 
Uh, I'm originally from Iran. I uh, came to the U.S. in 1981 with a suitcase, $100. Didn't know anybody. Didn't speak a word of English. Uh, mom, dad, and most of the family still lives back in Iran. I came to the U.S. to finish high school, university, and and began my career. I've been blessed. Most of my my professional background has been around technology, IBM, Silicon Graphics, business objects, number of uh, tech companies. And then I went the consulting route, Price Waterhouse, before we became PwC, and uh, spent uh, went to Emory University for an executive MBA and became president of a company, and spent several years at a private equity firm where we bought and sold 110 different companies in six years. So I got a chance to see a lot of different management styles, leadership team dynamics, and business models. Uh, 20 years ago, I started to started the NOR group. So this is our 20th year. And uh, I've been blessed to work with clients like Siemens and Disney and uh, KPMG and Deloitte and uh, met Michael Israel through our uh, involvement with the Service Council, which is a, a really strong community of uh, field service, customer service, customer experience professionals. And I'm um, an advisory board there. Uh, I've written several books, and uh, I spend a lot of my time uh, consulting, advising leaders, and uh, on their growth strategies, uh, edu educating leaders, and uh, most importantly, uh, coaching uh, leaders as well in thinking and and really leading differently. So that's a little about me and my background and and uh, and our team. Well, that's very good, and thank you so much for that. I'm I'm very familiar with the book, your books, and you and I, as you said, have known each other for a while. You did leave one important thing out, though, and that is that you also spend a lot of time on a on a two wheel vehicle. That that is correct. It's uh, <laughs> I ride motorcycles not as a not as a hobby, but as an addiction. I I, I want the audience <laughs> to know I'm coming out clean here. It's an addiction because your favorite motorcycle is always the next one, right? The next one that you buy. This is the one you're excited about. Yeah. Well, that's great. So uh, we're going to have a, a discussion amongst these experts today about field service, customer service, relationships, and how important relationships are in delivering service to customers. And we're going to try to tie all of that into our concept that I talked about uh, in the previous session about completed service work and what does that mean? So, Michael, back to you. Let me let me ask you a question, Ed. Since you've been involved in field service, so to speak, even before you were a consultant, as a young man growing up even, what do you think the primary goal of field service is? Why do companies, other than the fact that they have to fix stuff and they have to install stuff, why, why do they have field service? What is the underlying benefit that they hope to be able to provide to their customers and to themselves? Can you shed some light on that? Sure, sure. So if you ask field service executives and managers and people in this audience, they might say that the role of field service is to fix things when they're broken, just like you mentioned. Um, field service is, can be, is much more than that. It's a very strategic aspect of the business. I think all businesses are, have one objective, and that's to keep happy, profitable customers. And field service is a way to do that. So after the product sale, that field service organization is a way to keep the, keep the customer happy. And if done properly, it's profitable. So uh, let me just uh, come back to you, Noor. I know you've, you've written a number of books, as you mentioned, about relationships, uh, not only personal relationships, but predominantly relationships. 
business relationships uh, between people inside companies and also uh, intercompanies as well. Can you talk about relationships insofar as it relates to field service and how important relationships are in field service delivery? Absolutely. I want to build on Michael's comment that mm-hmm. uh, uh, I would submit that there's a there's a tactical or transactional part of field service, and there's a strategic part. The, the, that, the tactical one we all know is is you know you you need field service. You want field service when something breaks, and you want it physically and quickly fixed, resolved. I want to get back to kind of running my business. I think strategically, field service is ambassadors of the brand. They're ambassadors of really the, the perceived value in not just the product, but the company. And, and as such, and you brought it up, in the relationship. So if you think about it, an organization may interact with sales early on in the process, right? So you tell me the value of what this you know, product or machine or, or you know, whatever the, the item is that I'm buying the value of it is, and I, and I develop a perception. So what you're doing is you're creating a brand promise that this equipment will help your business, this product will help your business be more efficient, be more proficient, be better at what it does. Sales, once the sale is done in many organizations, sales in many ways goes away. So that customer's real relationship, that customer's real interaction on an ongoing basis is often with the service organization. And my perception, that brand promise that you made about your product really becomes brand equity as you nurture that relationship. And as service organization is prompt, they're professional, they solve my problems, they don't make me jump through hoops. And it really nurtures the relationship and it solidifies how I think about you, your company, your brand, how I talk about you, how I may recommend you or refer you to my other relationships. So field service is really an ena- is a relationship enabler for organizations to do just that, build deeper, more meaningful relationships with their customers. And that's why I really think of them as strategically as brand ambassadors, relationship ambassadors, not just technical fix it or fix it how teams. Yeah, very good. I want to uh, relate a story that I think you're familiar with, nor we talked about it on a podcast that we had. Um, I bought a brand new dishwasher from a major manufacturer actually last March. It finally got delivered on, I think it was May 3rd. And uh, one week later, it didn't work anymore. And so I called the te- I called the company and they sent out a technician and uh, he couldn't fix it. He had to order some parts. So it didn't, still didn't work. And then the technician came back a couple weeks later and had the parts. Uh, and that didn't fix it either. Um, and so he was on the laying on the kitchen floor, you know, looking up into the side, the door, the dishwasher, talking to technical support, using his phone to take pictures, et cetera. They couldn't, couldn't figure it out, couldn't fix it. Uh, and they couldn't replace it because there were no replacements available. Don't ask me why. It seems kind of odd. So I asked him for a... Um, a replacement. And after many, many uh, phone calls of arguing with them, they finally agreed that they would refund my money. So that's one one part of the story. The other part of the story is then I got another new dishwasher, different brand, and uh, that one didn't work either. So it wasn't it wasn't drying. 
So I got their customer support on the line and I I was fortunate to get a hold of some young lady. And, you know, this is brand new dishwasher, new technology. You can do all kinds of different settings with them and everything. So she gave me some advice on what kind of settings I should set. And she said, okay, I'm going to, you know, you go try that. I'm going to call you back at two o'clock this afternoon. Sure. I thought, well, no, they're not going to call me back. Two o'clock this afternoon, I got a call from her and she wanted to check with me to see how it was going. I said, well, it really isn't doing, it still isn't drying. She said, well, here, here's some more things I want you to try. I'm going to call you back on Sunday because this was like a Friday, I think. She said, give it a couple of days, a couple of tries. I'm going to call you back on Sunday. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not ever going to hear from her. Well, Sunday, I got a call and she wanted to know how things were going. And sure enough, the recommendations that she had given me worked. Now, that is an example of completed service work because she could have given me her first recommendation and uh, never bothered to call me back. You know, I would have had to pick up the phone and call him again and say that it still isn't working. Not only did she call me back at two o'clock, but she called me back on Sunday again. Uh, and that's a great story. And you, Nor, you and I did a podcast about that very story. Mm. And I sent that podcast to her boss. And uh, the company, by the way, is um, LG. Yeah. And uh, he sent that podcast up to all of the executives at LG, letting them know how important, not only what a great job this young lady did, but how important it was to follow that process of completed service work. So I, I think that's an example of someone taking the extra mile and building the relationship, not only for herself and me, the customer, but for me, the customer with the company. Michael, so, you're, you're exactly you're exactly right. And just the three quick points for the audience, I would submit number one, that particular LG leader and team have built a culture of service, a culture, a, a, a culture of relationships that says Michael Israel is not just a transaction. He's not just yet another dishwasher of, of tens of or hundreds of thousands that we send out. But let's ensure that that we build a nurture relationship. They get it. They get the value. Two, I would submit that particular young lady has that built in, that that fundamental DNA of heart of service, heart of giving, right. and really taking pride in her interactions with you. And then last but not least is building processes, building tools, and really empowering her to be able to do that. How often, and Michael Bloomberg has seen this as well, how often do we you know, ask for A and we measure and compensate B, right? So if your culture is how quickly can we get, you know, customer service people off the phone, you're measuring the wrong things versus yeah, absolutely. how exactly. that yeah. serves, right? Yeah. And you make I mean, it's like David, um, a lot of people think good service is basically service with a smile. It's the warm and fuzzies. But Michael, as you point out, there's so much more to that. It's making sure you have the right parts. And David, you talked about the processes. So you got to make sure that infrastructure is in place to allow your people to perform very well and create that service culture. Yeah, I think I just want to emphasize one point that you made, uh, Nora, as well. And that is that that young lady was empowered by her company to take the extra step. She wasn't being measured by how fast can I get him off the phone, right? And, and, so, and that's, uh, that's a, Michael, just a quick, that's a critical mm -hmm. one. And that's a critical one. I, and I, and I, uh, it's, it's amazing how often I find myself telling leaders, hire adults, treat them as adults, right? Compensate and measure them as adults. And the sooner you do that, the sooner you get out of the babysitting business. Because we start, we yeah. have to start finding a way 
I've just I've never believed lighting a fire under someone works. That's just that's not <laughs> it's lighting a fire within them that mm-hmm. makes them want to show up and, and take pride in what they do. And that woman took pride in ensuring your success, ensuring here's the other very quick point. We've got to stop confusing output with outcomes. Output is she, you know, she took your call or output is I check off a list. It's important. I don't want to take anything away from that, but it's not nearly as impactful as outcome, which is Michael Israel's dishwasher works. He's happy. And the processes of which I recommended, the steps that I recommended worked and created the outcome he was after. I'm still perplexed by how many organizations do checklists really well, but we lose sight of the outcome that we're there to deliver. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, I, I often wonder how many LG dishwashers will be sold as a result of my comments and our and our and our podcast. You know, it's just it's, I, mean, I'll gar- I guarantee you that some will be absolutely. So uh, and I also just want to mention and then I want to come back to Michael with a couple of questions right away. But uh, nor you're famous for your nor nuggets. And I just picked up two, nu- t- two nuggets from you. One of them I'm familiar with before is that is don't don't compare outcome versus output. Right. And the other one I just learned from you, which is great, is you don't light a fire underneath somebody. You light a fire within. Uh, and, and I just and, and that young lady had a fire within and that I did just think that's a great observation. And it's very kind. And again, I, for the audience, every leader, and I'm sure Michael sees the same thing that we speak with right now is struggling with the whole talent agenda. We can't find enough people. We can't find enough quality people. We can't retain them. You know, one of the things that, that has come up in a lot of conversations recently is reciprocal purpose. We talk a lot about a company having a purpose, company talking about its purpose. What about that employee's purpose? If you don't understand what motivates them, if you don't understand what moves them, if you don't understand what inspires them to come and do their best every day, you might have a transactional employee for a week or a month or even a few months or even a year, but you're not going to have a long-term committed person to what what they're there to do. So, so I think, again, that fire within shows up in pride, shows up in thoroughness, shows up in initiative, shows up in how they do what they do each day. Those are the things we desperately need in the service organizations of more people taking pride in the outcomes they, they create. Yeah, right on. So, Michael, let me come back to you uh, and uh, specifically talk about field service. You know, we've talked a lot now over the last several minutes about relationships and and the culture uh, and how important it is to not just, um, you know, take care of the issue at hand with a customer, but make sure that you also go the extra mile to make sure the customer is more than happy. What are the so that's a key goal for field service delivery, of course. But uh, from a measurement standpoint, also, what are some of the other key performance indicators that field service companies are trying to achieve in, in your opinion? Yeah, well, obviously, you need to have measurement systems in place because sure. it gets measured, gets improved, gets done. For the, I think the first part is revenue generation. You want to have metrics, measurement systems in place to determine how well you are at acquiring customers and keeping the customers. So in many, many industries, you have something called a contract attachment rate, which is yep. which, which percentage of the companies you sell to are buying the contract. 
Then the second one related to revenue generation is renewal. What percentage of your customers are renewing every year or when the contract expires, they're renewing? So we typically see contract attachment rates in best practice companies in excess of uh, 75%. Uh, not everyone's going to buy, obviously. And then renewal rates are that high too. Uh, and you would expect that if someone's using your product and they're going to continue to use the product and you're delivering great service, they'll renew. That's just the revenue side. But then there's a whole operational side of delivering mm -hmm. service. So one uh, metric that we see, I'm not sure that everyone in the audience today it applies to them because some of them are fixing equipment. I think some of the people on this call are in uh, more pure services like landscaping, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, one in particular is first time fix. And even if you're landscaping, I, you can apply that. And that's the idea is that when you send out, when you dispatch a technician or a field worker, they get there and they complete the job right the first time. So that, that measures how well you're doing in having the right talent, assigning mm -hmm. the right talent, and providing with the right tools and resources to get the job done. And I, I, another one would be uh, speed to resolution. Your customers, every industry, your customers have an expectation of how long something should take. And if it, and you've got to know what that is and make sure that a high percentage of your activity gets done within that time that you've, you've promised the customer. And you know, just carrying it a step forward, what, what are the obstacles that prevent companies from achieving their, the, those uh, KPI goals? Well, I think the biggest one is not really understanding their customers, understanding what their customers want and need and de designing offerings to meet, what, meet their wants and needs. So if you don't know, their, don't know what your customers want and need and not giving them what they want and need, not providing value to them, they're not going to become your customers or they're going to leave pretty soon. The second yeah. one, having the systems and processes to ensure you can deliver the service at a high level of productivity and efficiency and quality. So you meet that first time fixed commitment and that speed of resolution target. So let me I'm going to come back to you on uh, on the measurements again, Michael, in a minute. But let me let me go back over to Nor And Michael, you mentioned systems and processes uh, to ensure that the you know, the KPIs are met, the customer uh, satisfaction and customer uh, retention goals are met. Nor, what are your thoughts about the processes that companies need to be put in place in order to achieve the goals that Michael has talked about and, and also in order to achieve the goal of completed service work that you and I have discussed? What are the important processes? Yeah, great point. Uh, again, this past week, I heard an expression that Michael really resonated with me, which is if you double the volume, you're going to break the system. You're going to break processes. And, and what happens mm -hmm. is we build processes with the best intentions. And yet we don't stress test them often enough. We don't iterate often enough to really have those processes evolve. If you think about it, most processes are built with the best intentions as, as customers use them. It's critical that we come back and revisit those. Are are, are there still the right steps? Are they still? Mm -hmm. you know, are we? Is, are any part of it unnecessary? I just I've never believed to be particularly useful to make people jump through hoops just because we need something. And again, I've got a couple of anecdotal just advice for the audience. A, a CEO drove into me years ago. Remember information for people, not about them. Four people is for their benefit. This is Mr. Michael Israel. This is just back to your 
dishwasher example, he's got this, this, this model at this location. So the next time you call, ideally that's in our system. And I don't have to ask you, who are you and what do you own and what do you have? And that's remember information for someone. Information about them is so we can spam them. And nobody wants that. Nobody needs that. And so, so be intentional about that iterative process that I think Michael also brought up earlier. That's number one. Number two, the entire industry often talks about KPIs, key performance indicators in many ways. You're looking in the rear view mirror of what happened in the past, right? So mm -hmm. how we served them and how that experience was, and that's great. And again, I don't want to take anything away from KPIs. They're important. They should be one source of data. An equally valuable piece of data or thought process around data, and that one that is really relationship-centric, are not lagging indicators like KPI, but leading drivers. And let me give you and your audience an example. So most people have heard of Net Promoter Score, NPS. Mm -hmm is single question based on your experience would you recommend us and on a scale of one to ten zero to six is negative seven and eight is neutral nine and ten are positive mm -hmm. believe it or not that number matters less than why they believe or why they said that number and if somebody gives you a, a, a whatever the number is you want to ask a follow-up question what what made you give us that number and the way, and if that's open text, and if they start to comment on, well, your technician showed up and, you know, if somebody says you did a, you know, it was fine, they're not exactly raving about you. Right, right. And what I'm describing is sentiment. So sentiment analysis is one example of a leading driver. I agree with and you. And if, if you get, yeah, if you get one point, that's just that, a point. Two data points is a line. Three data points is a trend. And if I continuously disappoint that customer, what sentiment analysis indicates is there's a high chance that customer is going to leave, that you're going to lose that. That customer is a flight risk, and you're going to lose that customer. That is a leading driver. Now you look into the windshield with predictive analysis, with predictive data that ideally you can do something about. So now a customer's had two, three poor experience with us. Their NPS and their sentiment analysis is declining. Now, ideally, a manager reaches out. Listen, it looks like we've disappointed you more than once. I'm here to rectify that. I'm here to resolve that. I'm here to ensure that we continue to you know, improve and get better at not just meeting, but exceeding your expectations. That's an example of not just using KPIs, lagging indicators, but also sentiment analysis, social, any kind of predictive information I can get to as a leading driver of the relationship. And I think that will give you a more complete picture of the relationship with that customer. Yeah, I think it's important to have an NPS, 100%. I think it's also very interesting is, is when you do this NPS and you do this sentiment analysis to look inward. And try to understand is what are you doing internally that's causing that external perception on you. So I think too that um, you just hit, hit on another point that I think contributes extremely well to the concept of completed service work, and that is that you're you're gathering these data points to get the sentiment analysis, and then 
you're having ideally some kind of follow-up based upon the sentiment analysis, that is a part of completed service work. You're not just saying, oh, well, the customer had a, a mediocre experience this time uh, and gee, they had another one and oh, oh gosh, here, there's a, here's a third one. You're actually taking steps to find out what do we need to do to make those mediocre experiences go away. And it, it doesn't have to be just picking up the phone or sending a survey to the customer. It also involves looking at the, the specific incidents, for example, that the customer had a mediocre experience about who did it. Maybe they need more training. Maybe they have a bad, their, their personality is just not suited for the kind of work that they're doing. We know that happens with some technicians. But it's, it's not just looking externally at the company to, or excuse me, the, the customer to identify what their problem is. But it's also looking internally, what's the cause of that internally and taking some corrective you're, steps you're, internally as well. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, both, another... you're, both, yeah you're both exactly right. And, and Michael, you know, I, I, uh, Israel, I appreciate, you know, your, your lens on the completed service. And I think a, a line in there really resonated with me of, not just as a field service, as a customer service professional, what are you there just to kind of do? Again, the checklist, but what should you do, right? You, you're you're in my home. You, you're there to fix the, the dishwasher. I'm going to keep on that topic. You also see my refrigerator, who just happens to be LG, is leaking. Don't just leave, right? <laughs> Notice that. Yeah. You're there. Talk about it. Reference it. Maybe look at it if you can. And and again, I'm not I'm not unrealistic. I realize that you know service organizations are also a PL and somebody's responsible for the time and effort and efficiency. Mm-hmm. But I would submit, and, and here's here's one of those maybe contrarian perspectives. Michael, every every organization you and I meet wants more. They want more customers, they want more business, they want more. If you think about the global pandemic. The last couple of years, we haven't spent more time with more relationships. We've actually spent more time with fewer relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would submit if you invest in deeper, more meaningful relationships with those customers, they're going to become more profitable customers. I think Michael Bloomberg mentioned your acquisition cost of that customer goes down. You deepen the relationship. You raise barriers to entry by competitors. You're going to get more mind share. You're going to get more wallet share. You're going to get a higher word of mouth and recommendations on and on and on and on. So the completed service work, as I said, if you're there to fix one thing, human nature, open your eyes, open your ears. You've heard me talk about listen louder to their other challenges, other struggles. And if you can, within your area of expertise, I, I don't want you to have to suggest changing the battery or tires on my car if you're there to change my dishwasher. But within the area of expertise, recommend, notice, suggest other ways to improve my condition, benefit me as that customer. And what you're going to do is you're going to deepen the relationship and you're going to gain and garner more loyalty from that from that process. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's the old adage, quality versus quantity. I mean, it's really what it boils down to, right? Michael, right. let me come back. Go ahead, Michael. You were going to say I, something. I was going to say, and Lori, you, you shared so much there, but the last thing you said uh, made me think about the idea that one of the ways you get and keep customers is by providing more value to them than anyone else. And by doing this sentiment analysis, it's just such an inexpensive way to find ways to add value. 
through the customer relationship and inter interaction you have with them. And to build on that, Michael, I, I mentioned that the uh, Michael Israel, I mentioned that the negative sentiment analysis that the last three times we interacted with this customer, we've disappointed them. Yeah, building on Michael Bloomberg's comment, there's also an opportunity to identify money you're leaving on the table. Because if that sentiment analysis is a positive trend, there's more for you to do there. There's more for you to do for them, with them, add value, oh. make make your organization more valuable to them because you're adding value. And now they start to call and say, I want John, my, my service technician, or I want, he was, you know, Susan was great on that last call. And, I, you know, I want, you start to build an emotional connection to your brand, an emotional connection to your products and services and people and culture. And, and I don't have a, you're not giving me a reason to go buy a competitor because I value what I get from you on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, uh, you, sentiment analysis should be looked at not just from a standpoint of negative things, but positive things. You, you want to know what you're doing, not just what you're doing wrong, but what are you doing well so that I can instill those habits and those behaviors yeah. in other people in the organization and I can build upon that strength? So um, that's a very, very valid point. Uh, Michael, let me, let me come back to you. You know, we've talked a lot about KPIs and sentiment analysis and customer satisfaction and customer retention and all of these good things. What are the core foundational systems that people, you know, we talked about processes with NOR, but what are the systems the technology systems uh, that people need to have in place in order to achieve these goals? Sure. Well, first of all, you have to have a good financial management system in place. It's uh, tracking the cost that you're spending and uh, it's able to uh, collect the revenue and build a customer. So yeah, at the end of the day, we're still running a business. So we have to have the financial infrastructure in place to manage that. Then we want to have a system that's capturing the contract. So we know what it is we offer the customer, what they're entitled to, and we're giving them what they're entitled to. Now, that might seem like contrary to what Noor's saying, but one of the challenges that services companies have is they either give away too much service and they're losing money, or they're not giving away enough and they're making their customers frustrated and unhappy. So if you want to give away more service and you think that's good for your customers and good for your business, you do that, but you want to know how much more you're giving away. Right. right? So that's what the contract, the entitlement system helps you understand. Are you making decisions to give them more than they're entitled to? And if you're not giving them enough, well, you better step up and give them what they're entitled to. And that contract manager system gives that data in real time. And lastly, and most importantly, I'd say it's uh, technologies and functionalities like the work order management system. So you're telling the technician oh, what's the job to be done, what's the completed service work that, that they're going to be committed to. Uh, and also uh, the ability to schedule and dispatch the technician or the field worker. That's kind of the biggest challenge. Who do I send? What's the best person to send? Uh, uh, what time do they have to be there by? So you have to have that those core components in place. Okay. Now, and of I course, think... there's other things that are more advanced, but those I'd say are the core core functionality. Yeah. Just to, as a point of clarity, when you're when you're talking contracts, just in case uh, people don't understand. Uh, we're talking service contracts, maintenance, you know, various terminology, service contracts, yeah. maintenance contracts, extended warranties. Exactly. They, there's a, a variety of different terms that people use, but it's all about a contract for delivering services for a period of time. 
on a specific piece of equipment or a specific facility or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah or you think of it, it's more of an insurance term, but uh, what, are you yeah. what's the what's the, what, are, what are they obligated to? Who's yeah. the obligator yeah. and who's the obligate 80 and, and what, what are you obligating to them? What are you, what are you obligating? What kind of services are you being obliged and out of provide going forward? Yeah, I'm sure everybody is familiar with going to Best Buy or somewhere else and buying a new TV or a microwave or whatever. And the very first thing they offer you when you check out is, would you like to buy the extended service agreement? And I just went through it myself at the Apple store. So, so uh, we've got, you know, a few minutes left. We've got eight or nine minutes left. I don't know that we have any questions yet. Um, Let me ask uh, our host uh, uh, or moderator if we have any questions, please let me know coming in from the audience. I see we're getting some pretty good reactions from the audience, lots of lots of thumbs up and applauses and things like that. So the things that you guys are saying, certainly, oh, and there's some hearts as well. Somebody loves us, which is nice. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Michael. <laughs> um, so uh, in, in our closing minutes here, I want to ask you both again to give your thoughts and your interpretation uh, on the concept that we're promoting about completed service work. So, Michael, let me let me start with you. What are your what is your perspective about what that means and how companies can achieve that? Well, you know, so much today's thinking in business around the concept of jobs to be done. To really understand what do your customers expect the work to be done, and if you can deliver that, you're going to make them happy. So this aligns 100% into that concept. And it, I think it drives uh, it drives the business in terms of what are you going to offer, what are you going to do, and how are you going to set up your business and your processes and gear up your people to to do that effectively. Nor, yeah, I, I'm going to build on Michael's uh, comment. Michael Israel, I, for a long time, um, I've I've, I've uh, conveyed the notion that I'm allergic to vagueness, and you've heard me say this <laughs> yeah. that. Relationships go bad with misaligned expectations. Whether that expectation is with a customer or an employee, the more if you're if you're blessed uh, to be in a position to lead, manage, lead, one of the best things you can do early and often is to align and realign expectations. So I've never liked job descriptions. I've never liked uh, interviews per se. So to build on Michael Bloomberg's comment, if you think about creating uh, jobs to be done, A, you, you create a crystal clear vision and guidance on what it takes to succeed in that role, what it takes to deliver value in that role, what kind of resources that individual will need, how are they empowered if you create different what if scenarios. So if you do that, then the individual is, you know, as they as they evaluate if whether this is a you know right position for them or not, are crystal clear on what's expected from them. So there you're aligning expectations. And if those expectations have the customer at the center of all that we do, at the center of all that we're about, now you're you're really conveying that that not just customer service not just customer advocacy, but Amazon coined the frame, uh, phrase of customer obsession. I think more service organizations 
if they genuinely become obsessed with the customers and why those customers buy from them, what do they do with the products that they buy and really think about customer obsession as, as a driving force of why they're in business, I think you would see a very different and highly elevated service experience. Uh, the last comment I want to make on, on, on really the completed service environment is, is we need to increasingly get a 360 degree view of that customer. So if, think, about, think about your products, think about your service, think about what you bring as a sliver of their journey. You're, you're just a small piece of all that they go through. The more you learn about that environment, the more you learn. Michael Israel just doesn't have a dishwasher. He also has a refrigerator and he has an oven and he has, you know, other appliances that LG manufactures. So how do we get more mind share? How do we get more wallet share from Michael? And the only way I know how to do that is really get a 360 degree view of what else he's done with us. What else does he need? How else do we serve him and his needs? to really deepen that relationship, as I mentioned earlier. And whatever systems, whatever processes you can put in place to give you those insights, I think will serve you as the organization really well. And, and not to bring in a word from our sponsor, but I believe Zuper does part of that really well. I'm just saying Zuper does that really well. <laughs> Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. So, Michael, any any other parting comments? Well, I like Noah's comments about the 360 degree view because if you're doing a great job with completed service calls, complete service jobs, and you're getting to learn the customer and you're building a relationship with them, then you have the right to now offer them more products and services. You can replace uh, the dishwasher with another brand or the refrigerator with another brand or whatever the product is in the home. Once they see that they, they're getting great service, that pulls through the sale of new products. And that's contrary to what many people believe. They, many companies don't think service is going to make a difference that you're seeing a service technician because something is broken, but you're solving the problem for the customer. And if you're doing it in a great way, customers are smart enough to know, I may have that with another brand and, and the next product I purchase. So I, I know this firm. I know what to expect. I like what I'm receiving and I want to do business with them again. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, uh, it, if you're able to deliver that kind of service consistently, thoroughly, all the time, it builds loyalty. I mean, I'm going to, I'm an unabashed Apple bigot. I mean, I, I bought my first Apple in 1984. I've had some bad experiences with Apple, of course, but their service for me is outstanding. And I, 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 I just, I always buy an Apple when I just bought myself a new Apple watch. So, and it's not because, I mean, I like the products. It's not because the products are so great in and of themselves. It's because of the service that I get. So, and that's just one example. And I'm sure many people have other examples that are equally as compelling. So service builds brand loyalty and absolutely ensures future revenue and a greater share of wallet. And you know what, as I said earlier, somebody's going to buy an LG dishwasher because of my comments and Norris and my uh, um, podcast of a few weeks ago. So word of mouth is also very important and positive word of mouth comes from positive experiences with the organization. 
So the last thing I would say with regard to completed service work, and I, I put this in one of the papers I wrote, I said, completed service work is not about what you should do. It's about what you could do. So when you go on a service call, you should get this item fixed, but you could all do the, also do these extra things that adds value to the service that you've just provided. So uh, I want to thank both of you. I give you both an opportunity for a parting comment. We've got just a little under a minute left. So uh, any, any uh, words of wisdom briefly, as I, as I, you like to say, nor brevity, please. Yeah. Uh, I would say regardless of regardless of what any of our audience members do for a living, I would submit that we're all fundamentally in the relationship business. Don't don't ever lose sight of that. The product and service is an enabler of the relationship. If you focus on that first and foremost, uh, you'll sell, you'll do great on the product and service side. Michael? I'd add to that by saying that uh, service is the business. It's not an afterthought. It becomes the business. A little secret. If you do a great job at service, you could service your competitors' brands and now switch the customer to your brand and now start selling outcomes, subscription-based services, instead of selling a product outright and you have recurring revenue. It's a whole other topic. Okay, guys, we're right up to it. Thank you so much. Very valuable uh, discussion from both of you. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure that our audience does too. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Zuper FM, field service your way. Insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this. When you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.